Good morning, saints. Were, y'all, were you guys encouraged last Sunday about the signs and wonders and the miracles of God that he wants to do among us? I really felt his pleasure, you know, in that whole message about he will confirm the word of his grace with signs and wonders because he wants to confirm his goodness. You know, to see God as, as good is a key to him working miracles through us. Because if we don't see him in his goodness as he really is, well, our faith will be weak to believe that he really wants to do these good, awesome things to, to heal and to strengthen and to answer prayer and all these things, all these miracles and these awesome things that he wants to do. So it's a, it's a key thing to see that he's, that he's good. You know, the, the, phrase, the phrase that was sung when they dedicated Solomon's temple was, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And when they started singing that to dedicate Solomon's temple, the scripture says the presence of the Lord filled that place so powerfully that it was like a cloud, so powerfully, so thick, his presence came in that temple that the worshipers fell to the ground. They couldn't stand. But what triggered, what, what word, they, they had been singing and worshiping all day. They'd been sacrificing thousands and thousands of animals and, and dedication of the temple. But what was the phrase that made God pull back the veil and say, my children, is when they said, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. He said, that's me, that's me, you know? So it's a big key in God working miracles through us and helping other people get blessed through us and in our own lives and getting our own prayers answered is to believe the goodness of the Lord, to believe in the goodness of God and how good he is. It's awesome. That's his heart because the enemy is all about distorting God. He's all about lying about God. The enemy is all about from the very beginning in the garden saying to Eve, has God said? No, oh, no, no, he's trying to hide something from you. He wants to keep something from you because he knows if you knew this, he knows, no, no, no. He's all about distorting the image of God. And that's why when Jesus came, the express image of God, he could say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't worry about all these other things you've heard about my dad. Look at me. When you see me, you've seen my Father. And you don't see anything. I mean, Jesus, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. He never got angry at a, what we would call a, you know, typical class A sinner. You know, prostitute, drunkard, thief, whatever. You name all the sins. He never got angry, not once. You'd have no record of him being angry at sinners around him, except the religious who were trying to distort the image of his father at the temple, which was one occasion when he got angry at them because they were selling doves and selling lambs and the money changers were not being honest with the people who came from many miles to, to bring their offering. And you, you know the story how they did that. They would bring their lambs from far away to, to bring an offering to the Lord, to Jerusalem. And the, and the priests would say, no, 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 this one's got a spot. You've got to buy our lambs. So they would reject their lambs and make them buy their lambs. And, of course, they don't have a lot of money, so they, they 
payout, and then they, the weights were not accurate. They were stealing from the people even when they bought their own lambs. The religious, and, and, God, and Jesus saw this, these, the hearts of the people coming to God, and the religious playing these games, and that's why he got angry, threw the tables up. But you never see him angry at, at all of us have need of a Savior. And that's why he came. He said, I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So it's just amazing how much is, is said out there about God that you do not see in the life of Jesus. And you can safely reject, and you should reject, any thought or notion or teaching that is not seen in the life of Jesus. If someone tells you something about the Father and you don't see it in the Scripture, you don't see it in Jesus' life, you should reject it. Because he didn't leave anything out. He is the express image of his person. He who has seen me has seen the Father, and I left nothing out that you need to know. Nothing out that you need to know. Everything. You can keep, we can keep that in mind. He is our anchor of what is real, what is true. He came to reveal the Father, and the Spirit has come to reveal the Son. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see you as you really are. For you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Father, for this new covenant that you cut through your Son for us, whereby you say, I will remember your sins no more. And I will be merciful to all your iniquities. Fear not, for I have removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west for my own sake. And now I dwell in you, and you dwell in me. Fear not, little flock. It is my pleasure to give you my kingdom. For he who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. It is my will, it is my will that he offered himself up on the tree for your sakes. Be at peace. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Amen. Amen. One, there was a parable I mentioned last Sunday that I want to look at again because it's so key. We talked last Sunday about how our relationship with Jesus is the exact counterpart of Jesus' Jesus's relationship with the Father. Our relationship with Jesus is the exact counterpart of Jesus' relationship with the Father. So much so that Jesus would say, as I live by the Father, so shall you live by me. He is that bridge, the, the one man between God and men. There's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And so through his work and through him, we can actually be joined to the Father. The Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, now the Son in us and we in the Son. But we live in this relationship in the same way he had that relationship with the Father. Now, it's very important that we get freed from a legalistic slave mentality, as if God is this tough taskmaster 
and that we see ourselves as just unprofitable servants doing our duty. Now, you'll be surprised how much is in, that's in our thinking in the church, that we're just unprofitable, unworthy, unworthy worms, unworthy servants, just doing our duty. Jesus taught that that is exactly why your faith is anemic. You have weak faith if you have a slave mentality because the law is not of faith. We must allow the Spirit of God to open our eyes more and more to this reality of sonship, that you're not a slave, you're not just a servant. He He says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. You're my sons and my daughters. The Spirit of God has come into us to cry, Abba, Abba, Daddy, Papa. One of the key things to growing our faith and getting strong in the faith so that he can work miracles through us and signs and wonders through us and get our prayers answered is that we must release, we must be released from a slave mentality and realize our sonship. It's key. And that's what he's saying in this parable I want to look at one more time. Remember last time we talked about how we touched on three things in the relationship between the father and the son. The first thing we said, you know, the Lord said, I only do that which I see my father do and speak which I hear my father speak. And we, saw, we talked about how that's really, I think, all about knowing him. You know, he knew his father. He know, he, I think he would even sit on the sides of the hill sometimes and watch it rain. And as it rained, he saw it falling on the just and the unjust. He saw his father working even in the natural like that. And he would say, my father, he's just observed as the son, you know, the spirit speaking to him, revealing the father to him, seeing more and more as a man relying on the spirit to show him the father. My father causes the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. Be merciful as my father is merciful, see? He did those things which he saw his father doing. He knew his father's heart. And as we said last Sunday, we could see somebody who does something generous, you say, I can see them doing that. They've got, they've got a big heart. I can see them doing that. That's how the Lord was. He, can see, he could see his father doing these things. He knew his heart. So a big part of doing the works of Christ, the miracles of Christ, is to know the father. The scripture says they shall, in the latter days, they shall know their God and be strong and do exploits. They shall know their God and be strong and do exploits. Miracles because they know who he is. And the second thing we talked about was how the, the son was so convinced and knew his, that the father loved him. He said the father loves the son and shows him all things. So we, that sense of belovedness must develop in us more and more, I believe, that we just, we just you know, wake up in the morning. Just to, our first thought in the morning really ought to be allowing God to love on us. First thought. Don't think about what I can do for God. Don't think I, I need to be up praying. I need, to do, I need to do this, I need to do that. I need to, you know, God wants me to do this, God wants me to, no, no. First thought, just allow God to love you. It's not that we first loved him, but he first loved us. It works that way in the kingdom. It all comes from him. And then it goes back. So as we're filled with his love, we can love him back and love others. But we have it backwards. We think we, it initiates with us. It doesn't initiate with us. It's all from him. It flows from him and then back to him. I think, uh, who was that, George Mueller, who had the uh, orphanage years ago, and he would pray that food would come in to feed those orphans, and he said something in his book that was so cool. He said, um, he said my very first priority in the morning, the very first thing I do is get happy in the Lord. 
He goes, I don't do anything until I get happy, and I stay there until I'm happy in the Lord. And what he's saying, he's, I get, you know, I'm receiving his love, his joy. I'm focused on his love and not worried about all my needs and all my problems and all this challenge to feed all these orphans, but I'm just going to get happy in the Lord, first thing, first priority. It's awesome. What a way to live. David said that. He goes, I have, I have placed the Lord always before me. It's one of his secrets. One of David's secrets is I have, I have placed the Lord always before me. And that just means he's aware that God is with him. And how much more can we in a new covenant be aware that God is inside of us? You see how legalism and sin consciousness has robbed us of an, a growing awareness of our union with him? And that's the key to life. The key to the Christian life is just a growing awareness that Christ is in me. Peter said, look, you think by some holiness of my own or my righteousness that you're healed? No. The Christ in me has healed you. He is my righteousness. They were so aware of their union with him. So aware. And that's, that's what the Spirit of God is doing in our generation. It's bringing us back to the simplicity of Christ. To live is Christ, Paul says. Christ in me and I in him. You know, that growing awareness to, be, to receive that love, be happy in the Lord, so to speak, and, and awareness, awareness of his presence will release miracles and, and cause our faith to skyrocket as a son and as a daughter of God, no longer with a slave mentality, but with a, a feeling of, I know my father's business. I'm a son. I must be about my father's business. Awesome. And the third thing we talked about last Sunday was the the dependency of Christ on the Father. Total dependency. He said the Son can do nothing of himself. The words I speak, the works I I do are my Father who dwells within me. He does everything. So this growing sense of complete dependency on him is also such a key. Not just for him working miracles through us and getting our prayers answered, but just to live. Man was not made to live alone alone. Man was made to live by God. We were made with a spirit in his image so he who is spirit could be joined to our spirit. As Paul says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And now we no longer live after the letter of the law. We no longer serve God after the letter of the law, Paul says, but we serve him after the newness of the spirit. And Paul Paul says, I no longer serve the law of God with my mind either. Romans 7, I no longer serve the law of God with my mind, but I serve God in my spirit, God himself in my spirit. I don't serve a principle. I don't serve a principle with my mind. I serve God himself in my spirit. Totally different. That's why you don't see the miracles that should be out there, because people are ministering out of principle and not out of presence. It's, it's all about the principles in the Bible as opposed to the presence of Christ. An awareness of him, a simplicity of him. That's why you have this ridiculous argument out there that's been there for years. I think it's kind of, I hope it's not still out there among the churches, but this ridiculous teaching from the Corinthian letter that says, you know, prophecy and miracles and healing and gifts of the Spirit have passed away because the perfect has come and the perfect is the Bible and we've got all the, the, the scriptures are canonized now and that's the perfect. And so all these gifts of the Spirit and miracles have passed away. People actually believe that. Yeah, back in the 70s, that was big. 
I think there's some people out there that still believe, and I hope they're hearing this tape. (laughs) Because it's ridiculous that we actually believe that the Bible was the perfect that Paul was talking about. He's writing letters to churches. He had no idea that someone was going to collect all these things one day and put them together. I mean, it happened 300 years later when we finally got, you know, people got together and said, okay, this is authentic, this is authentic, put it together, you know. No, the perfect is Christ. When he comes, when he comes, we see, when we see him face to face, there's no need for the gifts of the Spirit. We shall see him face to face. Faith, hope, and love now abide, but the greatest of these is love. But when he comes back, you won't need to prophesy for you'll know all things as you are known. You will not need to look through a glass darkly, Paul says, for you will see clearly. You will no longer have need to walk by faith, but by sight. That's the perfect. The second coming of Christ is the perfect. The, the revelation of him in glory, when it's over, that's the perfect. But until then, we need the gifts of the Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit and the, the works of prophecy and healing and speaking in a language unknown to man by the Spirit of God and all these awesome manifestations that God has given to the church that we might be built up in the faith. And not all have the same gifts. That's another wrong teaching out there. Not all speak in tongues, Paul says. Not all speak in tongues, Paul says. Not all prophesy. Not all he are healers. Not all are apostles. Not all are prophets. Not all are teachers. Don't try to make everybody something else that the Spirit has not made them. For the Spirit distributes these gifts as He wills, the Scripture says. As He wills. Placing them in the body. Manifesting as He wills through the body. It's awesome. Release the people to let the Spirit move. Don't say you've got to have this particular experience or you don't have the Spirit. Someone cries, someone laughs. He, I, guess, I think he got the Spirit because he cried. I don't know about this one. It's ridiculous. It's just religious nonsense. See clearly the simplicity of God. It's the Spirit in the, in the believer, Christ in you, and God will manifest as he wills gifts and prophecy and manifestations and workings and offices in the body. All those things, and the body will recognize them. The body will recognize them because you'll see it. You'll bear witness to God's working. So, of course, miracles and healings and all these things are for today, and the perfect that is to come is Christ, not the Bible. But those same people that say the perfect referred to in that letter, the Corinthian letter, is the Bible, are the same ones that are ministering out of principle and not presence because they are preaching a Bible and not the God of the Bible. God is not a book. God is not a book. Jesus said, you search these scriptures and you think that in these scriptures you have life, but they speak of me and you won't come to me that you might have life. The scriptures are not an end in themselves. We don't worship a book. They are a light into our path, a lamp into our feet, which implies this takes us somewhere. This was meant to bring you and I into experience. Experience God. God is not a theory to be held in the mind. God is a spirit to be experienced in our heart. A father that communicates and talks to us. He speaks. He's not like the dumb idols. Dumb meaning not, can't speak. He's not like the dumb idols who cannot speak and cannot see. He's a God, a living God who speaks. And he speaks beyond these pages by the Spirit. A lot of people have their prayer time. Their prayer time really is just reading the Bible. And that's good, 
But if reading the Bible doesn't lead you to close this book and talk to him and listen to him, you've stopped halfway. It's not about just reading the Bible. It's about reading the Bible to lead us to him. And that's a real key to God working through us in the miraculous. Because is, is, I tell you, the whole key to the miraculous is seeing the unseen. That's what faith is all about. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Proof of faith. Your faith, your belief is actually the evidence that it, that it is. Isn't that awesome? Faith is the evidence. When you go to court, you win a case if you have evidence. And the judge rules in your favor because you have evidence. Evidence of the unseen. Faith is evidence. When you hold faith in your heart, that means it is. That's the evidence. Faith is the evidence of the unseen. Paul says, look not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. It's the whole life of the Christian is to live in the unseen, in the invisible reality. And I'm telling you something else, saints. You and you have, a, as you know, we have a new nature. We've been made a partaker of the divine nature. Your nature as a new creation, your nature yearns to see the invisible. Amen. Automatically, it's already in you. Right. It's already, you have to make this happen. It's already in you. You have a desire to see the unseen. What, does I, what, do, what, do I, what do I mean by that? I mean, you have within you, God has, op, God has given you the eyes of the Spirit within. He has given you the ability to see unseen things by revelation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You can hear him. You can therefore see him. You can therefore believe. You are made that way. You're a new creation. You are made for the unseen realm. You pull from that kingdom into this visible kingdom. It's, if, if you're sick and you have a cancer, you don't deny that you have a cancer. Of course you have a cancer. If you've got a cancer, you've got a cancer. You're in this realm, you've got a cancer. You've got a cancer, you've got a cancer. But you and I can believe from that realm and bring into this realm healing into this realm. Isn't that awesome? We're not denying what is. We just know what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The superior power is the unseen. We know that which appears was made by that which is unseen. The superior power is that which is unseen. You were made to live there in that realm. You've been translated into the kingdom of the beloved son. It is within you. The realm is within you. The kingdom is within you. You live there. You're from there. You've been born there from above. You are from there. That's your home. That's how you live inside of you. You're yearning to live by faith every day because that's who you are. You love it. You love it. You love to live by faith. That's who you really are. You love to see that you're a son of God and a daughter of God because that's who you are. Throw off these chains of these, the enemy's lies and, and stand up awake and Christ shall give thee light. See who you are. See who he is and see who you are. Enjoy this realm that he has brought to us where you can bring from that realm into this realm manifestations of his kingdom. Father, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.
on earth as it is in heaven. Let's look at that parable real quick. Luke, Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. Now this is one of the most misunderstood parables in all of Christendom. This is it. This is one of, I would say, one of the top five mistaught, misunderstood parables, parables in all of Christendom, worldwide, for centuries. This parable right here in Luke 17. All because of two things. Because we don't know the Father, therefore we misinterpret what the Lord is saying here, and because of a comma. A comma. A comma that does not appear in the Greek, for there are no commas in the Greek. A comma that was added by the English translators that totally changes the meaning of this parable, and there are no punctuation marks in the Greek language, and the Gospels are written in the Greek language. So let's take a look at this. Uh, Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, verse 5. Luke 17, verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That's a great prayer, you know. Lord, increase our faith. We are, we are to increase our faith. You know, faith goes faith to faith. We go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. God wants us to grow in faith. Paul even talked about those who are weak in the faith or those who say, I can't eat meat and I can't drink wine. I, you know, I've got this special day, the Lord's Day. I've got to go to church this day because that's the Sabbath. He says those people are weak in the faith. He says accept them, don't, don't reject them. They're your brothers, your sisters. You know, they're, just, they're just weak. They're weak in the faith. But the strong in the faith, Paul says, are those who say, yeah, I can have, sure, I can have a glass of wine. Yeah, sure, I can drink wine. Sure, sure I, can, I can worship the Lord on any day, not just Sunday or Saturday. Or, yeah, uh, of course, I need meat. Even those meat, that meat sacrificed those idols over there. Sure, it's a good steak. Why waste it? Paul taught that. Paul taught that. Those strong in the faith realize the invisible reality. They're not, they're not hampered by touch not, taste not, as if they were living in this world. Paul even asked the question, why do you do that? Why are you living like if you're still in this? Ah. They saw. They saw. So it's a good thing to ask that our faith increase, that we grow in faith. And faith just grows because we see more of him. We become more and more aware of him. When we first become believers, we're not nearly aware of him as, as we will be as we grow 10 years later or another 10 years later. So that growing awareness and relationship causes faith to grow, roots to go down, stems to come up, just like a tree. Fruit, more fruit, more fruit. It's just, it's just the Lord's way. Okay, let's go. Um, verse 6. And the Lord said... Okay, this is a, let's, let's skip six because I want to go back to that someday about the mustard seed. That's one of the other top five misunderstood parables about the mustard seed. I think we did that one day in here, one Sunday, but totally misunderstood. The mustard seed, you want to try to do it real quick? Okay, let me just real quick, the mustard seed, little footnote here. Verse six, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, there's another passage that goes into more detail about the mustard seed and we don't have time to do that, uh, all of it, but I'm gonna do it real quick. 
um, and then we'll go to this other parable that I want to focus on. But the mustard seed parable is all about, the parable is something like this. Though the mustard seed be the tiniest in all the garden, though the, ti- though the seed be the smallest of all the seeds in the garden, yet when it's fully grown, it is bigger than all the other garden plants. Remember that? And then he says, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could remove mountains, you could do this. And we are taught that that means if you have just a little bitty, bitty, bitty bit of faith, it just takes a little bit, you know, tiny as a mustard seed, it's all it takes. No, he's not saying that at all. He wants us to grow in faith. He's talking about this. And and those who teach that totally ignore the rest of the parable about when it's fully grown, it's bigger than all the other guys. He's saying something. All right, what is he saying? He's saying this. Mustard seed. If the mustard seed was a person, he's talking, he's personifying the mustard seed. Just like he said, the rocks will cry out. He's talking, if you had the faith like a mustard seed has faith, you would not be daunted by what you see. Because the mustard seed sees itself as the tiniest of all the seeds. The tiniest. Right. The mustard seed doesn't trouble itself with what is outward. Because he knows who he is on the inside. And all these tomatoes and, you know, around him said, cool, man. Just wait. I know who I am. And when I'm fully grown, I'm bigger than all the other garden plants. So, it's, but he doesn't have to wait till he's bigger. He knows who he is. That's what Jesus is teaching. If you had faith like that little mustard seed, he's not concerned that he's the tiniest of all the seeds. For he knows when he's fully grown, he shall be bigger than all the other plants in the garden. Even the birds will come and nest in his branches and he'll be a blessing to many. He knows who he is. That's the parable of the mustard seed. It's not about little faith. No. It's about a knowing who you are on the inside. Okay, let's look at this other thing. All right. Verse 7. Chapter 17, verse 7. But which of you, having a slave... Now, remember, the question was, Lord, increase our faith. So he's responding to that desire to have greater faith. And this is what he says. First, he says about the mustard seed thing. And he says, you've got to know who you are. And then he says this, But which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will not he, will not he say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, the owner, and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? He does not even thank the slave because he did these things which were commanded, does he? So he's saying, okay, let me, say, let, me just, let me just do a reality check right here, okay? You guys have your, your servants out in the field, and they come in from working all day. Which of you here says, you know, um, how do you say it here? He says, which of you says, come immediately and sit down and eat? In other words, which of you owners invites your servants to come in and sit down immediately to eat, and you serve them? Or is it really the reality that you say to your slaves, feed me first, prepare the meal, prepare, serve me. You eat after you serve me. I'm the owner. You eat, you eat after you serve me. And then they all say, oh, of course, of course. That's how, you know, that's how we do things here. And then he says, verse 9, he says, 
he doesn't even thank the slaves because he... He, because of the things which were commanded, does he thank them? Because they just did what was commanded. Now, look at verse 10. So you too. He's talking about them. This is how they are. This is how they think. This is what they do. He says, so you too. When you do all the things which are commanded you, or, I'm sorry, command. When, when you do all the things which are commanded, comma, that should be a comma there, not after say. When you do all that's commanded by the Lord, you know, when you're trying to obey God and under this covenant of law and you've done all that you've commanded, in the same way you say, see, there's no comma after the word you in the Greek. Just you say, you say, you too, you say. See, you too are like that because you say. That's what Jesus is saying. You too are like that because you, you're, you too are like that with my Father. Because after, done, after having done what is commanded under the law, you say, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. That is the problem, Jesus is saying. You have a slave mentality with the Father in the same way you deal with your slaves. You see God dealing with you that same way. Now, this is taught in a lot of churches to say that's because of that comma that we're supposed to say. Because of that comma, that's taught in churches that we're supposed to say that we are unworthy slaves. We have merely done our duty. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is teaching. And I'll prove it to you. Look at Luke chapter 12. Same, same gospel. Luke chapter 12. The Lord is actually saying the reason your faith is anemic, the reason your faith is weak, is because you see yourself as a slave. You're treating, you see God treating you the way you treat your slaves. Basically, you see God treating you the same way you're treating your slaves. Look at, look at Luke chapter 12, please. This is so awesome. Luke chapter 12, verse 37. Now here, the Lord is talking about his second coming. And he is the Lord. And he is the master. And in, the, and in one sense, we are his you know, servants out in the field, so to speak. We're his sons, really. Sons out in the field, right? And he's going to come back one day, the second coming. And look what Jesus said he's going to do. This is who the Father is. This is who God is. Look at verse 37. Blessed are those slaves or servants whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself. The master will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Isn't that awesome? Jesus said at the second coming, that's the heart of God. When I come back, my sons and daughters are not going to have to serve me at the table and then eat later. No, no, no. When I come back, I'm going to have them recline at table and I will gird myself. I'm the one that's going to bring the bread to my sons and daughters at the table. The same one who washed their feet is going to serve them at the table. You see that? That's the problem with the slave mentality. We have taken that parable in Luke 17 and turned it around on its head and had it teach exactly the opposite. The Lord says, that's your problem. You see, you, you know, you guys, your servants come in from the field. You make them serve you first. And you, th you see God treating you like that. You think you're an unworthy servant just doing your duty. You're like the, pro the, the son that didn't leave. 
The prodigal son that left got to know his father, but the son that didn't leave just did his duty. And he was angry with, the God, with, with his father for showing grace to his brother. That's what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, that's not my heart. When I come back, all my servants, all my sons and daughters, I will have them recline at the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the master, the Lord himself, will gird himself and serve them, serve us. It makes you like, it, it, it freaks you out like it freaked Peter out when he, when he washed his feet. You're my master and Lord, you can't wash my feet. That's God's heart. I tell you, it's a key to miracles. It's a key to faith. It's a key to letting this goodness flow through us. Believe. He's as good as he says he is. He's not like men. He's not like the heavy taskmaster that makes his slaves feed him first and then you eat later. No. God says, no, no. You come recline at table and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to gird myself and serve you. Isn't that awesome? Let these words go deep inside us. Let the Spirit of God take this truth and, and open up in us the reality of sonship and the reality of his goodness and, and how much he, he wants to work through us. And we, can, we, are, we live, saints, we live in the righteousness of Christ. Never doubt God could work a miracle through you or answer your prayers because of sin. Sin is not even imputed to you anymore, period. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And God is very wise, obviously. And his way does not lead you to desire more sin. His way causes you to desire the invisible, to be free, to go beyond the veil, to behold his goodness. And I'm telling you, as we get more and more glimpses of him... The mind is renewed. A transformation takes place from glory to glory as we, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's a dynamic that's not of man. It's not of this world. It's not of man. It's not of religion. It is heavenly. It is a heavenly dynamic. You look at God, you become like God. Moses looked at God, his face began to shine. It's his way. You look at God, you become like God. It's that simple. So he made it possible for us to go beyond the veil. A veil is something that hides something. You can't see behind, beyond it. He made it possible for us to go beyond the veil so we could see his face. And now we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jacob wrestled with the angel. Jacob wrestled with the angel. Jacob, a picture of the new creation. Esau, the old man. Jacob, the new man. The new man must awaken and see that God is in this place. I knew it not. Jacob, Jacob wrestled with the angel. He said, I have seen the face of God And I still live, and his name was changed to Israel because that's who he really was. But it's because he saw his face. In the the law, in the flesh, to see the face of God is death, judgment. You cannot see the face of God under law. You cannot look upon the, the face of God in the flesh. You cannot. Even Moses could not, for the covenant had not yet been cut. So God said, I'll let my hinder parts pass before you. The glory of God, like a, like a comet, passed before Moses. First he was put into the cleft of the rock, which is a picture of Christ, and his hand covered him, and then his hand was removed, a picture of Christ coming into our world and leaving our world of the finished work, and the glory of God passing in front of Moses. But only the tail of the comet, it was a diminished 
the same elements, but a diminished element of the comet of the glory of God because he couldn't stand the glory of the face of God. So when God moved past him and turned so he wouldn't be destroyed, the trail of this glory followed. And the first thing that Moses saw was he heard the voice speak, and the voice said, I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful. And his face began to shine. Lord, we just thank you that you're opening our eyes to your goodness. Even as Gideon said, Lord, Lord, if, if the Lord is with us, where are all the miracles and the signs and wonders, Gideon said. And the angel of the Lord spoke to Gideon and said, Oh, mighty man of valor. Judges, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6. Gideon said, If God is with us, where are all the miracles and the signs and wonders? And the angel of the Lord said, Oh, mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor. He was hiding in the winepress so the Midianites wouldn't steal his, his grain. He was threshing his grain in the winepress, hiding from the Midianites, afraid. And the angel of the Lord sees a mighty man of valor in the spirit. And that's who you are. That's who I am. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. They see, they see, the angels see what is. And they said to Gideon, mighty man of valor. And God used Gideon and only 300 people to wipe out the Midianites. What a story that is about the fleece. Oh, it's awesome. And God recognized Gideon's weakness in faith. You know, he says, okay, okay, if you really spoke to me, then let dew appear on the fleece. And then it did. And then, okay, if you really spoke to me, let the dew appear around the fleece, but nothing on the fleece. And it did. God's so merciful, so patient. And then he said, Gideon, then Gideon, Gideon said, okay, I, I get it now. You really did. I'm supposed to go after the Midianites. Okay. And God said, nah, you're still not sure. Look, look, go down to the Midianites camp, sneak down there, hide behind a rock. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they are saying. Listen to what the enemy is saying. So Gideon went down there with a few of his men. He's listening. And the, and the men, the, the enemy was saying, I had the strangest dream last night. You did? Yeah, I had this dream that this barley bread, this, this gnarly piece of bread rolls down the hill and destroys all our camps. And Gideon knew he was talking about him. He knew the connection. So God confirmed, even from the camp of the enemy, that he was going to kick their butt. So finally, Gideon says, okay, God has spoken. Isn't that awesome? What that tells me is the patience of God, the goodness of God, that he sees, who, he sees you who you are in the spirit, but he's not uh, angry when we are slow to believe. He's, he's so eager to encourage us and teach us and, so that we can step into our destiny and honor him in the visible, that he might be glorified. Call unto me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. And I will release you, and you will honor me. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this awesome time with the saints just to gather in your name to speak of heavenly things. Thanks for the encouragement, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement. I pray your blessing, your favor. Thank you for the favor that is upon my brothers and sisters, the awesome favor of God in this new covenant through Christ. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for the favor that rests upon every single one of my brothers and sisters as they leave today and go out to their jobs and into the world, into their families, into their friends. The favor of God is upon them and goes before them. For goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Amen.